for example, I had a, a an expert one time, I kid you not, and he was constantly, his reports were spelling errors, grammar errors, spelling errors, grammar errors. And I just, I kept overlooking it, grumbling uh, until the day his report came and he had signed in his signature. He misspelled his own name. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not kidding. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry, joined by my co-host, Nate Bolander. Hi, Nate. Good morning, Megan. How are you? Good. This is our first podcast of 2022. Mm-hmm. Thank, you Back in it. My, thank you for being my oh. first co-host. I was your, I'm your first co-host this year. I was the first one to be on that, whatever you're calling that series where you ask your colleagues really in-depth questions that made me nervous. Yes. You know, a lot of firsts with me. Yes. And, you know, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Nate, but, you know, and it's mentioned a few, I think we mentioned a few times in this podcast, but you have baby Bolanders on the way any day now, baby girl. So we're highly anticipating her arrival. <laughs> you, you, no one's anticipating arrival more than my wife who has well, not yeah. slept in a month. But yeah, we're all really, our family, friends, and you guys are all really excited, and that's awesome. So yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know if we've. Well, it's been a while. It's been a while since someone in our office is them. Well, a wife or themselves have had a baby, so it's always it's yeah. exciting for all of us. I, I, I that's what I said when, when my wife and I were going to start trying. I said our, our office needs a new baby, so that was the yeah. driving impetus behind. You it. did it for us, not for yeah. not mm-hmm. not to grow your own family, just just no. for the Morgan and Akins. My law firm, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, today I, I'm excited for our podcast because we have on Morgan Dooley and Porter Nelms, who are both have been on the podcast before, um, and. Morgan was on a few months ago to talk about like do's and don'ts of defense counsel. And when she was on, we barely, I think we got to like topic number two, we barely even scratched the surface. So I I thought it'd be a great idea to do a part two and have Porter come on as well. So we're going to just dive into, you know, defense counsel do's and notes, don'ts from the view of a, you know, of an adjuster. So um, I think, you know, adjusters out there will appreciate their insight. And I think, Attorneys especially will appreciate, you know, what they what they look at as, you know, things that they like to see or don't like to see, and it's some good pointers for all of us, I think. And I think above all, they'll appreciate their candidness and and transparency because I think sometimes things are hidden behind emails, and you try to fluff things. And as we know, Morgan especially is not not do that. She's very yes. to the point, which I appreciate very much. I do too. So. Yep. <laughs> so with that, let's bring them in. Good morning, Porter and Morgan. Thank you for joining Nate and I this morning on the Defense of Arrest. I'm so happy to have both of you again. Thank you for having us. And I, I we had, were talking briefly, or Porter and I were talking briefly in the um, chat beforehand, but, you know, Porter has a snowmageddon, is in the midst of snowmageddon in Middle Tennessee, which I think is making its way to, at least to me, to South Jersey. So, you know, mm-hmm. how was your commute to the office today? <laughs> Uneventful, I hope. Yes, very. <laughs> The visibility was low and the cars are going slow. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting next few days. Yeah, well, and I mean, Morgan, if I remember correctly, you're in California, too. So you, you don't have any snow no. to get in. <laughs> no, I'm, a- I'm actually in northwest Arkansas. Um, oh. I grew up in California, but That's... I've been out in Arkansas for 28 years now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we, we had snow the other day. We, we may be getting snow today. I don't know. But I've worked remotely for 14 years. Yeah. So yeah, my commute is nothing. Well, I imagine though, and we're, if you get even like an inch of snow where you are, it probably causes a lot of havoc. No, you know, it's really, it's the ice. Yes. Um, ice is what, and, and we don't get as much, you know, I lived in Colorado for a couple of years. That was snow. Um, but we get more, usually more ice than we do snow and the ice is a problem. Yeah. Well, Nate's in Northeastern PA and like, they don't even blink at it unless it's over a foot. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm in the heart of the Blue Ridge mountains and we love getting six inches minimum. We just, you know, it's like, that's a normal day for us. So, so, so does everybody there go, you know, clear out all the the milk and bread and butter like they do here. I mean, I swear if it's a quarter inch of snow, oh my God, we have to have bread, milk and butter. Um, Um, not so much because everyone has the means to get around. I mean, you pull into the local yeah. grocery store, it's all SUVs on huge tires or pickup trucks. So, <laughs> nice. I think that, you know, they don't really mind that. But yeah, now everybody here, you got to have bread, milk, and butter for whatever mm-hmm. reason. I have no idea. 
Um, we get that on the threat of the bad weather. You'll, they'll yeah. work paper towel, toilet paper crisis. Of, <laughs> yeah. things are, and it's amazing the things that are empty now. Uh, yeah, with COVID. A lot of beer. Uh, <laughs> milk and bread, of course, will be gone. It's interesting to see what uh, what people take. And then you throw in this homeschooling or, or virtual school, and, and it's it makes going to the grocery store an interesting venture. I'll say that. <laughs> well, and so now we know where all the toilet paper went in March of 2020. It was <laughs> yeah, Porter's got it. Yes, yes. yeah, Porter's just, got all the toilet paper. It's in a spare bedroom. Check his basement. Check his basement. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I won't tell you my eBay surname so that you. Won't know. <laughs> well, we're here today to talk. It's kind of like a part two because Morgan was on a few months ago to talk about you know defense counsel pet peeves. And, you know, Porter, you had reached out to me after you listened to the episode and you're like, man, she is speaking my language. I was like, great. We already talked about doing a part two because I think we only scratched the very tip of the iceberg of, you know, pet peeves for defense counsel that you may have. So I'm really excited to kind of dive in today with both you and get each of your perspectives um, of you know, things that you, that drive you crazy or even some things that you might like. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of attorneys out there will tune in gladly listening to get your tips. Well, in, in reviewing what, what you went over with Morgan and, and she's posted about it since, uh, brief, concise, and grammatically correct. <laughs> oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so and I did post about that one just a couple yeah. weeks within the last week or so. Yes. I got a a and it, it put really aggravated me. It's a template that my client uses. So it's you know most of it's pre-filled, and that you just have to plug in some information. And it literally in two paragraphs. And I went back. I'm like, oh look, here's nine. He had nine. I shouldn't say he. The attorney had <laughs> nine glaring I mean glaring typos and and it, it wasn't it wasn't two to versus too it wasn't those type of typos or grammatical I mean these were just to borrow from my defense attorneys these were egregious yeah. typos um and, and you know and I sat there and looked at it and the managing attorney at that firm is a dear friend of mine and so I shot him a quick email and attached it. And I said, hey, you know, I do not want you to reach out to, to your attorney and tell him that I have reached out to you because I don't want it to impact my relationship with him. Oh, you know, and it's an, an attorney I haven't worked with before. And I said, you know, if it becomes, if it continues to be a problem, I'll deal with it. But I'm letting you know, because as managing partner, I assume you want to know because I would want to know. And sure. in case you, you know, from my standpoint, what this tells me is either A, you, you know, you had somebody type this for you, you dictated it, somebody transcribed it, typed it, and you didn't bother to look at what went out under your name, or you did it yourself and, and you just don't give a rip. Um, and, and, and you're careless in either one of those things. That's a big problem. I mean, I'm not saying you can't have a typo or two typos or miss a period or, or whatever. Where else are you being messy, careless and missing things? And that's a problem. Yeah. Well, and, and what you brought up, though, a very good point, though, I like that you <clears throat> went to the managing partner and discussed it, because I think I think any, you know, that that's your relationship, right, is with that with that partner. Absolutely. And I think yes. they in that position, they want to know if they're not seeing the work product getting produced to you, they're going to want to know if there's issues with it so they can address it on their end. So I think I would think that attorney probably really appreciated the phone. He call did. Yeah, you. absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, and I'm sure Porter would agree um, as much as I gripe sometimes. And again, you know, my LinkedIn thing is just my little vent outlet. I'm not, you know, I'm not cranky hundred percent of the time. I promise. <laughs> um, but you know, I reached out to the managing partner because A, he should know that. And, and B, you know, I, over the last year, I've, I've really kind of had a change in mindset and reminding myself what I tell, what I used to gripe about, <clears throat> excuse me, to other folks, which was, 
I, I can't read your mind, right? I, I mean, Porter and I didn't get our jobs and get to where we are because we're mind readers, because nobody is. Um, but we should extend that same courtesy to defense counsel. Uh, so I, you know, I've, I've kind of gotten along this vein of if, if I don't tell defense counsel and it's defense counsel that I don't have a longstanding relationship with, I don't tell if I'm not very explicit and here are my wants and needs and here are the things that aggravate me to no end. Well, then I have to own part of that when, when they don't meet those expectations, right? Because they're not mind readers. I, I haven't retained them for their expertise in mind reading. <laughs> and if I haven't told them, here's what I need from you and here's what I don't. And maybe go the step beyond of here's why I'm asking for these things or why I need these things. Here's how they impact my desk. Then again, I have to own half of that when I don't get what it is that I think I need or want. Yeah. I replied to your, your comment and I got some feedback about it. My, my twist on that is it's, it, especially in your example of a two paragraph correspondence, it's a lack of respect. Uh, if you can't take a two paragraph reply and fix the pronouns to be applicable and, and correct some of that, I, I realize that there's a, a unique relationship between an adjuster and his or her defense attorney, but it just doesn't take too much to uh, sort of complete the circle and do it, uh, do it correctly. Uh, and I agree 100%. They're not mind readers. So, yes, they have to know exactly what we're thinking in order for them to effectively do their jobs. And I think that spans across the entire claims process. They need to know how, Absolutely. how you know, my definition of a good settlement and an, and an attorney's may not be the same. Your definition of a good settlement or a reasonable request by the other side is going to be different. So I think communication is key. I just think it needs to be well done communication, properly done yeah. communication. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, and I think I don't care so much that my attorneys respect me personally. I mean, I hope they do. Uh, but but I need them to maybe it's not a respect thing. You know, I want people to take pride in their work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, because I do. I don't, I don't meet that bar that I set for myself all the time. I mean, I got an email from my supervisor the other day. Clearly I'm not meeting a bar somewhere. Um, but you know, I, I take pride and in, in self-respect in, in my work product. That's important to me. Um, and, and when I have an attorney who I don't feel like does, you don't get as good of results from, from those people. You know, the best results I think are come from people who take pride in what they do and they take ownership in what they do. For example, I had a, a an expert one time, I kid you not, and he was constantly, his reports were spelling errors, grammar errors, spelling errors, grammar errors. And I just, I kept overlooking it, grumbling uh, until the day his report came and he had signed in his signature, he misspelled his own name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not kidding. His name, I think his name was Greg. It was either Greg or Brian. And he misspelled his own name. And I can't him. I, I said, I, I can't do this anymore. You, you, I mean, if I don't know what else telegraphs more clearly that you just don't give a rip about your work. Yeah. And, you know, let's face it. Your work is my work because that goes into my file. It goes into Porter's file. That's yes. our work. Right. And then you, you might know, have someone above you looking through the file. And exactly. like, what, what's this bozo telling you that yeah. brain whose brain, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, the, the, the next part of that is, well, Morgan Porter, you clearly don't know how you clearly can't manage retaining good vendors. Because your vendor can't even spell his name right. So it reflects, not only does it reflect badly on, on you, it reflects badly on us. And I don't know about Porter, I don't like that. You know, I do enough damage on my own 
I don't need my my partners out in the the industry helping me with that. Yeah. Right. And you have the ready fire aim mentality that I sometimes employ. I don't need to pile on with with like you say with a with a bad fight. I don't right. need to be reviewing anything that's going to be questionable or uh, just again make them wonder if you use the word pride. That's a great word. Wondering if I have you know a little bit of pride in how the file looks. I mean, you almost get it to that personal of a level because it is yours. It is mine. It is, it is something that has our name attached to it. And it's something that, that we get credit for one way or the other. Absolutely. And, and, and we get the, the, the dinks for it as we should. Yeah. I'm a big believer in it's my claim. So at the end of the day, I'm responsible for every screw up on that. It doesn't matter who did it. It's my name on it. I have to own that. Well, and I think from like an attorney perspective though, too, and it's yours a little off course, but like it as like partners, if you have an associate working for them, like their mistakes are my mistakes. Absolutely. You know, like, cause my yes. name is on that filing. So, it, and, and I think I'm doing myself and them a disservice if, I were to blame them. Like it, it, I, I am the final check and it same goes for a paralegal or a, a assistant, anybody like it, it's not their fault. I'm the final check. Right. Well, it is their fault, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's partly <laughs> their fault, but, but yeah, the fact that it made its way out into the world that, that rests on you or yes. me or Porter or Nate, you know, as the case may be, but yeah, that the ultimately whoever is the, the top person on that file, you own it all. Yeah. One thing, one question I had, Morgan, that we didn't really cover last time was when you've brought up these kinds of issues to counsel, whether it's right to the person reporting to you or whether it's to a managing partner or that person's supervisor, what is the response? Do you get, do you ever get pushback beyond just a a, a unequivocal apology? Do you ever get excuses or anything like that? No, no, I don't. And I, I think part of that's probably my personality. So, it, you know, I, I, pro, I, I, I've been told I can be a little intimidating. Um, I certainly am. What word do I want to use? I, I am, I'm not abrupt, but I'm, I'm very, it is what it is. And here's what it is. I have had a couple of times I've had attorneys. Actually, yeah, a few times I've had, when I've had to chase an attorney for, reports or questions or something and I'm chasing and I'm chasing and I'm chasing and, and I finally get to the point where and I just flat out asked so do you if you do not want to handle this file please let me know and I will reassign it to another firm and I had an attorney finally at that point come back with a lot oh well you know so-and-so got sick and this and this and this and I didn't say anything, but I've never used that attorney again because I had been chasing him for pretty hard for probably 30 days. Yeah. And you spoke it, to him. You just didn't tell him anything that not. Yeah, exactly. Speaks to um, them. Yeah. yeah. But my, my thing is, look, I'm not heartless. I have stuff that blows up in my life. The last three weeks of my life have been a nightmare. Um, there's a lot going on. But if you don't tell somebody that, if you just ignore them, well, you know, it goes back to a person. You know, these are our files and we have people above us looking at them. So somebody's going to come into my, my supervisor is going to come into my file and, and see that I've been chasing defense attorney for 30 days and I'm getting no response. A, Morgan, why'd you hire a crappy attorney? And B, Morgan, why is why don't we have this information developed? So, but if the attorney had simply emailed me back and said, I apologize, I will get to this as quickly as I can. Currently, my wife is in the hospital. Currently, my wife just had a baby. My mother has COVID. My uncle died. The dog ate my shoes. <laughs> Give me something, right? Give me something that, that, that I can put in the file that not only is going to cover my behind, it's going to cover yours because 95% of the attorneys I work with, I want to continue to work with. 
So I want you to have a, I want my client to, to have faith and confidence in you as well. So I can continue to use you because if you look bad, I look bad. And if you look bad enough, my client may not want to let me use you anymore. So if you're, if you're not giving me cover, I can't cover both of us with the client. And again, it goes back. Help me help you. Yeah, exactly. Well, it goes yeah. back to communication, the mind reading, like, again, yes. like you can't read the mind. You don't know, you don't know what's going on in anyone's individual life. Yeah. And you're not asking for details or specifics, yeah. but you know, if it's been, you know, a number of days, just a, a, a or weeks, a note just to say, Hey, I've seen, I, I see your message. Yeah. There's a reason for my delay. I'm not just ignoring you exactly because I don't yeah. care. Right. You know, I mean, I, Again, over the last, since my son is deployed, um, I've been yeah. practicing and preaching. Nobody knows what's going on. I don't know what's going on in any of your lives other than I know Nate's having a baby, but, but I don't <laughs> my know. My wife is, is but I'm involved in this. <laughs> yeah, you're involved. Okay. You're involved. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea what's going on in your life. And, and so it's, I'm trying to remember to, to not only give myself a little bit of grace, but more importantly, to extend that grace to other folks. But if you just ignore me, then I don't know that you, that I need to be extending you any grace, right? So it's just, and, and I've always said, an email takes 30 seconds, maybe a minute to do what you said, Megan, just, hey, I, I see this. I've got some stuff going on. Give me two weeks. Now I, now I can cover not only myself, I can cover you too. And I'm not sitting here getting aggravated because I'm getting ignored. I don't know about Porter, but one of my pet peeves, don't ignore me. Mm-hmm. Well, communication is the big thing, but it goes back to what we've all talked about, the relationships. Uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned your relationship with the managing partner. None of us on the adjuster side, and I would suggest that, that, you know, Megan and Nate don't like this either. When we get out to a conference or go out to a happy hour or something, every once in a while, you'll see a, a, an attorney you've used in the past. And invariably, you have that awkwardness of, hey, I haven't seen anything of yours come through our office recently. Or, or you know, even sometimes it's, why did you stop? You? And, and I think that's, that's part and parcel of what you're saying a little bit is that I don't, I don't want to take the time to rat anybody out necessarily, or I don't want to, you know, mess up somebody else that may be going through something that I didn't know about, but those awkward conversations from the adjuster side can be tough. I can't imagine uh, from the, the law firm side, if it's someone I've got a relationship with, but another lawyer in the firm kind of, kind of blew it like you're describing. Yeah. It just adds to the awkwardness and you've spent so much time building the relationship that now it's more, I hope I run into you at this conference or whatever, but it's not going to be in a, uh, the business setting anymore. Yeah. Right. So I lost my train of thought, but <laughs> one thing I wanted, I wanted to pivot a little bit out of, um, you know, this issue to talk about, because one thing I, we didn't talk about during Morgan's uh, podcast, and I want to make sure we, do, we don't lose sight of it today, is expert retention, because, and your thoughts on recommendations from, from counsel, because I think sometimes some attorneys have the tendency to recommend, we need all of the experts, every single one. And I'm curious from your point of view, how, how that is received. I do need, like, in my view, I don't think every case needs every single expert under the sun. You need to pick your experts wisely. But I think in in some respects, some people are like, oh, well, but what if, what if, what if we need to get this person, we need to get this person. Um, So I'm curious from your point of view, how, you know, how you look at that. Porter, you go first. Okay. (laughs) Mine will be easy. Uh, I only do work comp claims. That's all I do. So in my world, when we use experts, they're going to be expert doctors or they're going to be 
expert may be too strong a word, but something like surveillance, some of, something that's going to be uh, usable and valuable down the road. Yes, sometimes I do have to rely on the no. my defense attorneys for that because I want somebody, number one, that they know have a relationship with, but someone that they've I trust their judgment enough on so many things. I've got to, it seems like I've got to trust their judgment with, hey, this doctor's a good one for us, or or I've used this this surveillance group does A, B, and C that makes they know exactly what we're looking for. You know, I, yes, I think relying on in my world, the defense attorneys are 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 pretty vital in that. I'd have to say yes, I I rely heavily on because again, I do it in multiple states. So I'm not as familiar in some areas as I am others. So yeah, the defense attorneys are, a, they play a vital role in that. And, uh, you know, I've got to rely on them. What about you, Morgan? Do you find that sometimes you get like too many recommendations uh, to retain too many experts? Fairly frequently. Um, yeah. and, and, and so, and you guys have probably seen it before I even go too far into experts. My big, big pet peeve was on LinkedIn where the my defense counsel told me I needed to retain an attorney or not retain an expert. <laughs> yeah, my defense counsel said we need an attorney. That would new, be a new attorney. <laughs> yeah. That would not be a resounding um, vote of confidence. But anyways, so. Honesty at a new level. Yeah, yeah. We needed a, uh, an expert. And I said, okay, great. Get me their CV, their rate fees and a budget. So they, they did that and I went through and I'm like, great, whatever. And then they I said, fine, we can retain them. Their budget was oh, I forget what I forget how many hours it was, but it was I think it was four to six, it was four to six hours. And based on their their fees, it was going to be between forty two and six thousand dollars. So great, retain them. They send me, Hey, you know, they, the expert needs a retainer fee, which is very common. I get it. The, the retainer fee was non-refundable in $6,500. Ooh. And, 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 and this, was, mm-hmm. yeah. And this, this was actually the same attorney who told, she was a mess. The same attorney who told me in a pa- report on page three that my plaintiff had died and the same attorney who told me on page 11 of that report that settlement value was now $7.5 million, all the same attorney. And she didn't understand. And I got a fair amount of pushback when I said, I'm not retaining an expert who says, who wants a non-refundable deposit that is greater than the top level of their budget. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. It was ridiculous for the expert, and it was ridiculous that my defense counsel either A, didn't catch that, or B, just assumed I wouldn't have a problem with paying out an extra $500 to some story. I mean, I'm not going to give you guys an extra $500, and we're friends. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, but I, I get it because I do GL. I have a lot of experts all the time. And I push back on my defense attorneys because sometimes that you know, they want to retain six different experts right at the get go. And it, it, I feel like sometimes they don't match the experts to what the likely outcome is of, of this, of the case is, is, you know, there are some where we all know it's never going to go to trial. We all know we're going to go to a mediation and we're going to settle this. And we all know it's probably going to happen at the close of discovery and or sooner. And do we really need to retain all of these experts if we know we're not going to trial? Um, and I feel like something it, it's almost like some of the attorneys, I feel like I've just turned them loose in a candy store and they're six years old. Yeah. I want this one. I want that. And I want this and I want that. You can't have it all. Um, so yeah, it's that that part is frustrating to me. And I think one of the other things that's frustrating to me, and maybe it's just because I'm not as smart as the attorneys and the experts, but when they send me a CV that's eight pages long and I don't understand any of it. it you like know, the 30 I, page reports, right? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't understand that this isn't telling me anything useful. You know, when, when maybe send me the CV, but also tell me I've used this expert on these five other matters that were similar to yours. And here's how they were able to impact and add value to this matter. That would mean something to me. But what they're, they're, so their CVs don't mean anything to me. And then honestly, Porter, I don't know what kind of reports you get with work comp, but a lot of the, when they do the experts, when they send the reports, I don't know what they're saying. You know, send me a report. Great. If you have to use all the big words and if you have to pontif- <laughs> pontificate away, go for it. But please give me a three paragraph summary for, for the lay person. The, the same thing that, you know, because I read that report and all I'm hearing uh, and all, in my brain when I'm reading that is if this is what you're going to tell a jury, if we do go to trial, if this is how you speak to the jury and how you explain to the jury, their eyes are going to be glassed over. Just like Charlie, my it's Charlie Brown's teacher sound. Yes. Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, Morgan, let me ask you, do you see the your experts, do you see them on both sides of the aisle sometimes? It's almost a, uh, or do you pretty much, I run into it where it's almost a race to the expert. They're an expert for hire. Oh, absolutely. And, yes. and in some cases, I have, I have agreed with defense attorneys, we might need to pay a small retainer somewhere if no other reason to keep the other side from hiring them. Yes, and that I would agree with. Yeah, that's to where that, you that makes want. it more of a ploy in the chess game than it does a a vital part. But I think um, some people are just better at the writing. Some people are better at testifying in front of a, uh, in the courtroom where you don't want them there on the other side. Right. Yeah, I've got a, a carbon monoxide poisoning case right now that's got a pretty hefty exposure. And we've retained one expert, I can't remember which one it was, but we retained one that I don't think we're going to need. I hope we're not going to need, but it really was more a defensive maneuver in that we wanted to pull him out of the available pool because he was the best expert to be had. Um, So I don't want plaintiff, you know, I don't want plaintiff attorney having it. So, so it's, it's like, like coaches say, defense creates offense. So yeah. yes, sometimes you got to be uh, proactive that way. And there's certain cases that you you do need to forecast an outlook. You're like, okay, we have a very distinct cause of action here. We know, like in this particular case, there's probably only X amount of experts available. So we might need to jump on that. Mm-hmm. soon. But if you have your run of the mill, you know, slip and fall, you know, maybe the it, orthopedic issue, but there's a liability issue. Maybe you don't need to retain an expert on day one. Maybe you're going to fight your liability issues and see if you can, if it's a summary judgment case, if it's a real good summary judgment case, maybe you hold off on the expert and see how the summary judgment plays out. If it's not going to be a race for that specific expert. I think it's a matter of just evaluating the case in front of you and not just checking the boxes and be like, okay, well, there's, you know, a lost wages. Okay. We don't, we need, we need, you know, an e- economist. We need this, we need that. You, you might not need all that. And I think I, you, it's a thoughtful consideration to, you know, the case in front of you. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a don't panic yet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we need a panic button. Yeah. We haven't yeah. hit the panic button yet. Let's not do this. And, right. you know, and I think it's a mindset too of, uh, are we litigating to litigate or, you know, I've, I've taken recently to asking my defense counsel fairly often, what's the exit strategy here? You know, do, do, have, because I feel like on some of them, and I think adjusters get, are, are just as guilty of it. I, I know I have been occasionally, I think we get in, you know, we get down to the trenches and we're, we're, we're down there and, and we lose sight of we're, we're just reacting to, to litigation. What's our exit plan? What's our exit strategy? I mean, it, it may not work, but we better have an exit strategy. Um, and we should be, we should be looking at that right when we get a new claim, we should be looking at that three months in 
Um, we should be looking at it at, you know, when we're getting near to discovery being over. I mean, we should be looking at that and reevaluating that fairly regularly because it's obviously going to change. Um, but we need to know because that should dictate everything just about, including, okay, do we need these experts now? Do we not need, can we wait? Do we need to lock them in now? Can we wait six months? Are we never going to need them? We, we need to be having that, that discussion fairly often. Well, I think it comes to, oh, sorry. I, 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 was think just it, saying, I think I, I think that's something that's so you could, you could learn so early in the case. I think a lot of, a lot of times attorneys will put their head down and they'll almost say, you know, we're just preparing for trial and we have not looked at anything else besides we have our blinders on. It's either going right. to settle at mediation or a trial, but it's going to be after discovery. We're going to take the depths. We're going to do the written discovery. We're going to get the experts. You know, it's, it's almost like a checkbox. And then at the yes. end, you, attorneys will sometimes say, well, now what? Now what do we do? I guess we should settle. But, yeah. you know, we, what we try to value in our cases, and Megan, you, we, we've, we've done this for years and years and years, is try to get within 45 days the valid, the valid exit strategies out to the adjusters. What, what can we pursue? How can we pursue it? And then if none of that works, we, we prepare for trial. But I think people oftentimes look past the fact that you can, you can analyze that fully within two months at the very most, even with a really obstinate, uh, obstructionary plaintiff's attorney. You can still get the meds. You can still research the claim. You can still you still have a complaint, and you can really do a lot of research without you know a ton of time and before you get into the heart of discovery. Yeah, I, and I think you know a lot of this arises out of a check the boxes type approach that that Nate was talking about. Like, okay, you don't really need to do everything. You need to do what's what is necessary for your exit strategy, and you need to identify that exit strategy. Be like, okay, maybe I don't need to serve six sets of written discovery. Maybe I don't need to retain six experts, you know, off the bat. Maybe I can ha- pick up the phone and have an honest conversation with plaintiffs' counsel and figure out it. it maybe we can settle this early. Maybe, maybe there are other options. But I imagine from you know, Morgan and Porter, your, your shoes, like the, the check the boxes approach must drive you Maddie or Batty, Batty, Maddie, whatever. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> because I, I think that also kind of speaks to like having a careless counsel that, you know, was a big theme in the, you know, the first, you know, big discussion we had during this podcast is you get those reports with lots of typos and errors you know, I think you see the same kind of results if you have a check the boxes approach, you know, it's just not thinking about the case, just kicking the can down the road. Well, claims don't fall into a nice little flow chart checklist type scenario. So it kind of throws it out the window pretty early with, you know, what's different about this one. And, and you know, you kind of got to go from there and you can tell some of these are in my world, at least some of these are going to be problematic for a variety of reasons. Some of them are a little more boilerplate and maybe, yes, there are different times once you gather the medical records and do some things, it's, it's going to be right to settle. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to fit a thorough enough checklists for each claim. So why bother? Right. I think, I, I think the checklist comes, I think sometimes maybe out of inexperience and then comfort maybe it's just like oh i've always followed this checklist so i'm going to keep following the checklist but it, and a checklists are great you know if you're a new attorney it'd be good to have a checklist be like if you don't know what you're doing <laughs> you know yeah. it'd be good but you know you're it's not the end all be all like you shouldn't always be following that but it's a great start i guess yeah well yeah, let's um, I think, um, you know, I think a checklist is because there's always going to be certain, th- I mean, hell, it, the adjusters, we have checklists, right? I mean, I, I need to contact the insurer. Uh, I need to retain defense counsel if I have defense counsel. I need to review coverage. I, there, there's just absolutely some things that we need to do on everything. But the problem is, is when you become so rigid with that checklist that you have, that you can no longer look past it, beyond it, beneath it, above it. You're, you're just stuck in the box and you can't think outside of that box. Yep. And everybody on this conference call knows, claims you better be able to think outside of the box and you better be able to do it quick to get good results continuously. Yeah. 
Um, and if you can't do that, you are not going to get the consistent good results that, that you want. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up, cause Morgan, you brought up budgets, um, and the issue with your, the attorney you had with the over, over budget or under budgeting the expert, how, when you get budgets from attorneys, what is the bothersome level when you get budgets that like, clearly there's no thought put into them? Cause I think budgets are very important and you need to put a lot of thought in them, but I think that's not always the case. <laughs> I think a lot of times it's like, well, this is a slip and fall case. So, you know, the budget's going to be X. And I think sometimes there's a tendency to simplify them and not think about the actual costs of defending a claim. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, first, I, I have to admit, I don't... I don't typically look really hard at every single budget that crosses my desk in, and I can't explain the thought process there other than, you know, if a budget comes across my desk and it's $25,000 up to point of trial prep, I, I don't really go through that budget and pick it apart. And, and very rarely do I pick apart the budgets that my defense attorneys send me. Um, if I get a budget that's 180, 200, 250, $300,000 that I'm going to stop and look, um, and, and kind of think, why is this, this big? But I think what I can say is when your budget continually changes over the course of the claim, it, and if there isn't something crazy that has that has come up that none of us were expecting out of left field you know if there's former plaintiffs have, have joined or if we discover there's three other parties that we need to cross in if, if there isn't something crazy that's happened or really unexpected and your budget increases by 50 percent and 60 percent i'm gonna call you up and we're gonna have a talk because that should not happen. I just have, there, there's an attorney who's going to get a unpleasant email from me <laughs> probably next week Ooh. because they sent me a, 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 hey, we need this expert. And okay, what? so tell me why. Because I, I don't ever let my attorneys just randomly retain experts. You better have a good reason why. We just, we talked about that. We, you know, here's how they're going to impact my claim. Yeah. So I said, okay, get me their fee schedule, get me a budget. And the budget came back, I think at $30,000 because I'm sorry, experts, but you're all grossly overpaid. Um, and I asked them because I can't remember what right now, but I, I knew because their budget was probably I want to say it was maybe 45, something like that. So I knew right away that that expert wasn't in their budget. And this is a very new claim. It's not a claim we've had for a year. It's, I think it's less than six weeks old, maybe eight. So I, I emailed and said, Hey, does your budget include this expert? No, no, it does not. We'll get you a new updated budget. Well, when I get the new updated budget, I'm going to be annoyed because we're so brand. You clearly knew we were going to you were going to recommend this this expert. Why isn't this in your budget? Yeah. Or if you didn't know what it was going to be, why didn't you send your budget with an email that said, "Hey, Morgan, the budget is X amount. Here's our, you know it's attached, but we're going to recommend we retain an expert, so it's going to increase. We just don't know how much." By how much yet? We think it's maybe going to be this amount, and and here's why. That's going to annoy me, and that's going to be a problem for my file. And here's here's me saying, you guys aren't mind readers. That's going to impact my file because I have put up that budget already. And Porter, I'm sure you 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 same thing at yours. Clients don't like us to stair step reserves, and with that new budget, it is going to be over my authority. 
And I'm going to have to go to the client, which means I'm going to have to go to my supervisor, which means I'm going to have to do a TPA summary. And they're gonna, I mean, it, it's a whole bunch of work. And I don't mind necessarily doing the work if we need if we need that reserve. But the client and my supervisor are going to look at me and be like, well, you just put up this amount two weeks ago. Why are we now increasing this? There are times I can use a defense budget as a means to settle a claim. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say convince the employer that's not fair to the employer, but it goes to show them if we fight on, and I'm, I'm happy as I can be to fight for you, fight on your behalf. But if we fight on, here's what we know we're going to spend. And then, of course, there's no guarantee of winning. So we still may lose on top of paying. You know, it, I think the budgets are a good idea. I yeah. think they do require the right amount of time and the right amount of, of, of inclusion. Yeah, don't leave a, in my world, a, a medical depositions out of it. Don't leave <laughs> the fees for some of these things out of it. Um, so yeah, I think they're great. Yeah. I mean, I use budgets a lot, like in, in cases that even we have, um, lower, like lower liability exposure, look, we can fight this till X, but it's going to cost us Y, but it's worth Z. So maybe we try to settle it now for Z because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spend you up to Y when it's greater than Z. So, you know, maybe we can get, maybe we could try to resolve it. So I think a lot of times budgets are really important outside of just, you knowing your costs and setting your reserves to be like, Hey, like, I, I'd love to, I, like, I, sure. I'll spend your money, but we don't need to. <laughs> you well, know, you we can make a business me. decision about yeah. settling a claim. Like you say, so that Y doesn't become greater than Z. It's a business decision. Hey, we can get out now and kind of move on and fight, fight again another day. Yes. Absolutely. And, and, Correct me if I'm wrong, Porter and Morgan, but I think I think a lot of what you guys want to see is on the front end that we've considered everything that we're not we're not kind of shocking you later on down the road. And in, in right. some of my budgets and in all of I think Megan and my I don't want to speak for Megan, but our jury verdict research, our, our peer exposure research that we do, I I have made it a point in the last couple of years because I think adjusters like this uh, to to give caveats for two different ranges. I will say, you know, here's a range that I think we can settle in. Uh, and here's here's what would get us to that range. If plaintiff is not credible, if we have a really strong damages expert, if we have, you know, if we can find another party that we can maybe bring in and offset some costs. And by the way, if that stuff doesn't happen, if plaintiff is super likable, his or her injuries are really serious. <laughs> Our expert says there's no way she's he or she's coming back from this. We can't we can't you know kind of uh, distribute out liability in any way. We're looking at a higher verdict, but I give kind of two ranges in the first 45 days to know six months or a year, a year and a half from now, you can kind of track which of those things has happened and then see where we end up. And I think that's, I, I, Porter, maybe you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what you guys want to at least have in all of our heads at the beginning that we've considered everything and that we're on Absolutely. top of it. I think it's important to be, to be that thorough on the front end because that sort of leaves, leaves things open because we, no one knows as you get into a claim, which direction it's going. Uh, are people's medicals going to get worse? Are medical opinions going to be become adversarial or become detrimental? Are we going to have witnesses that come up out of the blue that help you? Are you going to have witnesses that, that hurt you? I mean, yeah. So, so having the, the, the thoroughness in the first yeah. parts of a claim are going to be big. I think that's, uh, and I think you touched on something else without really saying it that's important too is you sort of do your jurisdictional research. You yes. kind of know a budget based on where what's the venue. Oh, for sure. What what county am I in? What state am I in? That that's going to change some of the. Um, it's going to change some of the answers. Oh yeah, and, and I will I will add the, who the opposing counsel is and who your co, who co defense. I was going to say the yes. same yeah. thing. Yeah, I've done a yeah. bunch of budgets where I say our motion, our, our discovery motion budget is much higher than it normally would be because this plaintiff's firm, for lack of a better term, stinks. They don't respond to you. They're obstructionary. They're known to be that way. 
So we're going to have to file a motion to compel for everything we want, whether it's DEP, a subpoena, a, a discovery response, et cetera. And then there's others that, that respond quickly and yes. we, we leave that low. We won't have a lot of issues with that. We may need to fight for more specific answers, but we'll get answers timely and completely. Um, and so I think that, that matters in budgeting too. Uh, that's obviously a very vital part of this whole scouting report type sports analogy I'm making, but not only the jurisdiction and the, the, the judges and how they do, but certainly the, the, the opposition, how thorough they, you know, do they own a bunch of neckties? Do, are they want to go to, to the mat with something or are they going to settle at some point because that's how they, they deal with volume? So, yes, knowing all those things and, and yeah. make the budgets very vital on the front end. And, and to, you know, ducktail off of that with motions, because I love that Nate brought up motions because it was on my list of things to discuss today, is motion practice uh, and, and twofold. Like one, identifying the council that you know there's going to be motion practice. Um, and, and sometimes you're going to know that, sometimes you're not. Maybe you haven't dealt with that council before, but if it's one that you've dealt with, you know, or you've dealt with that firm, you can give, you know, your, the, the carrier a heads up, you know, Look, they, they file a lot of motions. We might have to file motions. But what are your thoughts on just motion practice in, in general? Like I personally, you know, discovery motions, I don't like to file discovery motions unless I really need to file a discovery motion. Like if they're late on, you know, giving me discovery responses, I don't immediately want to jump to filing a motion unless I know it's, again, one of those firms that it's like, look, we can try to wait this out three months. We're still not going to get anything from them. But I'm curious to see your your perspective on on motion practice, even you know whether it be discovery motions or even dispositive motions. Well, my part of that's easy. <laughs> this problem we have is when one motion deadline encroaches on another deadline. Yes, and you have to go through the hassle of getting uh, discovery responses in order to know your next step. Uh, I don't want to then go into the time and expense of trying to dig up medical records. If in your discovery responses, you've provided me with names and addresses, you know, it's some of the, the, the piggybacking of one problem and one deadline on top of another that create the problems in my world. I'm sure Morgan can uh, uh, dive a lot deeper into that. I'm sure. Pond off on me. Well, I, I, I think what Porter's saying, I'm sure Morgan has some opinions about motions. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah. Morgan has opinions about everything. <laughs> my, so my opinion on, on motions is it, I think a lot of times it just depends on plaintiff counsel, right? It is, do we have a good working relationship or, or, may, or a non-adversarial relationship with, with plaintiff counsel? Um you know, because at the end of the day, we get we get more with with honey versus vinegar, right? So, you know, and extending grace. Okay, hey, you know, maybe we get something by not pursuing motions that we don't need to when plaintiff counsel is not being responsive and not doing what they're supposed to be doing on whatever timeline they're supposed to be doing it on. Um, and then there are other times. <clears throat> where it, it may just be some stupid little claim that has no value and plaintiff attorney is convinced it's a hundred thousand or, you know, 600,000 or whatever amount they think it is. But we, we know liability, we've got it. This is nuisance value at best, but it's going to be expensive to take it to trial. Sometimes I will use, I, I think you can use motions as, as a weapon, right? I mean, motion, motions get weaponized all the time. And, and sometimes the, the message I want to send via defense counsel is, look, Mrs. Plaintiff Attorney, I have a bigger wallet than you do. You know, at the end of the day, this is actually only a nuisance value claim. And I'm going to bury you, bury you in, in cost, in legal costs, because I am going to have my defense attorney file every possible motion that we think we can do and not get sanctioned by the courts. And, and so it, it really just depends 
like so much of what we do, it depends on, on the, the claim. What I don't like is, is when defense counsel just tells me, hey, Dave, you know, we're, we're just going to go ahead and file this motion and, and, and this is what we need to do. I, I prefer that defense counsel, that we have a discussion where, right. where it's we, plaintiff attorney hasn't done this or did do this. We can file this motion. Here's what we think the, the outcome will probably be. Here's how long that it's going to take to get to that outcome. And here, here are the, the pros and cons for, for doing that. And, and maybe here's what the expense, the additional increased expense may be. Um, but let, let's have a discussion before you go willy-nilly just filing motions because, you know, we're back to the checklist, right? Yes. Um, well, and so, I think yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a great example there of, of the, we're a we, so we need to talk about it. More it being one-sided, but more importantly, every once in a while, if you get a plaintiff firm that seems to have an in and have two or three of your claims all of a sudden, sometimes you got to send a message. Mm-hmm. You want them to think twice before they take the next file against this particular employer because they get me in the bargain. Absolutely. And I want to create such a, a you know, reputation. I, yes, I want to make an impact so that they go, oh god, not again. Not so much with with motions, although they can be effective. But I think it's also just this is not your free ticket to this is not your pull on the slot machine. You're gonna you're gonna punch the time clock, and I'm gonna. Well, I have and, yeah, I've got a great example for that. I twenty years ago. And I was new to, I was working at a carrier and and I was relatively new and we had a school account in a area in, in around Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And we had this, this one claimant attorney that, you know, the buses would get, they'd roll into a car in front of them where they'd get in an accident and it would be the bus driver's fault. And inevitably this one claimant attorney would show up. And he would have 18 kids on the bus. The same demand packages would come through for every single one of them. They all had the exact same treatment. And this employer of mine was routinely settling these for $5,000, And I was like, what are you doing? You have, this is the perfect example of Pavlov's dogs. Because he's, uh, he doesn't have to do anything. He, he sets up shop and now all the parents, everybody knows uh, there's, a, there's a bus accident. We all just go to, you know, claimant attorney John Blow. And claimant attorney John Blow sends them to, you know, Mary Jane chiropractor and they get X amount of treatment. And then attorney John Blow writes up these demand packages and he just puts in the, the different names and the data loss because they're all the same. Yeah, I was like, what have, what have you done? So I said, we're, we're going to stop this. I'm going to get an attorney on every single one of these because these are all minors. And technically, legally, this needs to go through the courts and they need a guardian ad litem. And the parents are going to have to go. You know, the parents are not going to just get a check to go do whatever they want to do with everybody's going to have some hassle. And the biggest thing was because I'm tying up their settlement money. All of these parents are going to be calling claimant attorney, Joe Blow constantly. (laughs) And they did. And I, and I told my, my employer, I said, look, it's going to cost us a little more on the front end because we're retaining an attorney. They have to, you know, we have to go through the courts, but I promise you in six months, this landscape is going to look vastly different. And in four months, we never got another one, another claim from him. Not a one. Send a message. Got to send a message sometimes. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you, sometimes you just, because if, 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 yeah, what I think Porter said, your free ticket, I, I refer to it as the ATM. And if they just look at Porter or I and, and they see, oh, look, I, I punched my ticket or, oh, look, there's Morgan, the ATM. Why would they stop? 
they're, they're going to continue to come get the ticket from Porter and, and make the withdrawal from my ATM. <laughs> and by so, the way, it's not, it's not just plaintiff's <clears throat> attorneys themselves are within the same firm. It's all plaintiff's attorneys in a given city or region. Yeah, absolutely. They're all, they're all on a listserv. So if someone yeah. gets a good result, they put it on the listserv and it's, it's Morgan Dooley and here's the insurance carrier and here's the client and there's a blueprint there. Issue these discovery, issue this discovery, do this, do this, do this, include this in your complaint and you get a check. And I think that's, it's not just with a firm, it's, it's so pervasive amongst all plaintiff's yeah. firms because they're all on these listservs and share their information. Yeah, and that's a whole other like bag of worms too. <laughs> yeah. um, so one, we're almost out of time, but one thing I wanted to touch on before, before we wrap up is, because I'm curious, you know, if you, you have counsel and you, you see some of these issues that we've discussed today, these mistakes or errors or, or lack of judgment or communication, you know, is there a way for that counsel to redeem themselves in your eyes? Are they dead absolutely. to you forever or yeah? Well, absolutely, but no. <laughs> absolutely, but no. I'm glad you um, took that one. Yeah. The, the attorney who told me on page three that the plaintiff was dead when in fact the plaintiff wasn't dead. And I discovered that by calling plaintiff attorney who said, no, I just talked to my client an hour ago. And, and then when I pointed that out to, to my defense attorney, then she argued about it. No, she, there's no, there's no coming what, back from that. What did she say? Did she come back from the dead? Like, what was her? You know, she, she's replying I, I, and she kept doing she it. She said flowers in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I canned them and she's still emailing back to, to me and new defense counsel. All, I mean, I can't, I can't make this up. All in bold and caps. The plaintiff is dead. <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, he's not. I talked to plaintiff counsel. I did what you should have done, which was call plaintiff counsel and say, hey, my insured is saying that, that your client is dead. And then plaintiff counsel would have told you what he told me. But anyways, no, you, you can't come back from that. But if, if you screw something up, I, again, and I'm sure Porter's going to say the same, you know, we're not infallible. We, we make mistakes. So if, if I, and I, again, it's another thing I'm, I'm working on self-improvement. I am trying to find the ways to come to my defense counsel when, when they are doing things that are, are problematic. I'm trying to ask myself, am I asking my defense counsel to be a mind reader? Because if I'm asking my defense counsel to be a mind reader, again, I have to own that. That's my problem. And I, and I need to, to teach my sure. defense counsel, look, here's, here is why it's a problem when you send me a 53-page report. Don't do that. I don't want a 53-page report. And here's what I need instead. And so they you can come back from that, right? Sure. You can, you can say, okay, I wasn't aware. Thank you for letting me know. And I will make sure that we don't send reports of that length to you in the future. And if you have a good attitude about it, and we both approach that as grownups and nobody gets their feelings twisted up in a knot, then we're okay. But, but if you get snarky about it, or if you, argue with me and tell me why I am wrong about what I want, or if you continue to ignore, if you send me a 52-page report the next time or a 49-page report, <laughs> then you can't come back from that, right? That's right. So, there, yeah. there, are, there are some things that are certainly recoverable from. We, we all make mistakes. We all value things incorrectly. We all guess incorrect. We do all those things and, and we're all culpable for that. Yes. If something's pointed out, uh, you know, Morgan and I don't get to recover from making the same mistake multiple times generally. Uh, neither, neither would a defense counsel, you know, anything it is. Don't make assumptions. Don't do things without talking to me. There are some things that pretty much can be one and done. And then there are, but then there are quite a few more things that would be, you know, you can talk it through, explain why. Maybe I'm a little different. I admit that. 
on the front end. I'm going to be a different type person for you to represent. Here's why, but let's talk about it. And, and, and some of your, your things, you know, I'm going to try to live outside that box a little bit that you described earlier. And, and, you know, I may want to, there's a reason I might want to fight a particular issue or I may want to fight a particular thing. And I just need you to kind of go along. Don't make, uh, don't make decisions on my behalf and, and don't, you know, yeah, don't, uh, don't mess up a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I will say though, cause this was just on my, my LinkedIn too. The attorney who had his secretary call me to set up a conference call to discuss, to discuss settlement recommendations is probably not going to be able to recover from that because that to me is just an overarching lack of respect. Yes. That's a, uh, yes. that, that I'm just, yeah, no, we're, we're probably not going to work together again. Like I said, there are some one and done things. There are some things you can recover from. It's a matter of, of timing and it's a matter of degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, we recently had a really large exposure um, claim out in New York and defense counsel was giving me fits. I mean, just fits and was giving my client the same fits. So we reached out to a managing partner that my client had a relationship with. I did not and talked to her. And, and then she said, well, let me go back and talk to the attorney that we had handling it. And she did. And then she, you know, it's with some of our concerns. And then she came back to us and she said, because we were ready, we really were ready to, to can him off the file, which would have been expensive, but that's how unhappy we were. Yeah, do it sometimes, yeah. 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 And, and she came back and said, I think there's been some miscommunication. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to set up a conference call. So we got on a call with my client, me, the handling attorney and his managing partner. And, and we were able to talk through, here's, here's what we're needing. Here's what we, we think you're telling us and what we're getting from you. And, and we were able, it was a little awkward. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a little awkward. And I felt kind of like a snitch or a tattletale. Um, but that we really needed to, to address this. So we got things ironed out. We, we came to a, a good understanding. It was a little awkward after for a little bit, but we ended up getting a great resolution and I will use that attorney again, but that we were able to do that because it goes back to this overarching theme we've had on this call, which is communication and, and nobody is a mind reader. That hey, I was gonna do the sum up and you did it for me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I appreciate both of you, and I'm so so honored and glad that you you came on today. If you you know, I think we could probably talk about this f- forever. Um, I would say if you ever in the Philadelphia re- region, call up Nate and I, let's go out to lunch <laughs> or <Absolutely>. dinner. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's hash it out some more. Um, but, but truly, you know, I really appreciate your, your insight on, you know, the do's and don'ts of counsel. And I think any attorneys out there listening, appreciate it. And I think any, all the adjusters lis- listening are like, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're going to send me an email like, like Porter did last time we had you on Morgan. <laughs> well, you know, again, thank you so much for coming on. And then for all our listeners out there, as always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to us to the defense of arrest on Apple podcasts. And now you can find uh, the video portion of our podcast on our new YouTube channel, which is uh, TDNR podcast, uh, which was just launched this week. We're, we're filming this the first week of January. So thank you all. Thank you.